We're continuing our journey through uh, some of the Psalms. And uh, today we are going to look at a Psalm that challenges our faith. We are in Psalm 66. We read the first four verses earlier during the responsive reading. And we're going to be reading uh, some of the other verses today, starting with verse 8. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You have brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You have let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out of the place into the place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fatted animals with the smoke of sacrificed of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats, Selah. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. I would not have listened, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Let's always remember that the power is in God's word. Thank you. You may be seated. As you know, trials and suffering broken world. C.S. Lewis Speaking to those of, uh, uh, of us with faith, once wrote, We were promised sufferings. They are a part of the program. We were even told, blessed are they that mourn. And I accept that. I've got nothing that I hadn't bargained for, of course, in self and not to others. And in reality and not in imagination. The reason that quote was meaningful to me is because of these last phrases. Suffering means something totally different to us when we're going through it than it does when we see someone else going through it. And this last phrase about in reality and instead of imagination, it really caught Because you see, so many times sermons and teachings are from the ivory towers of academia or in someone's cubicle. And they think of all these things to say, and it may even be true to God's word. But where is the reality and the sense of humanity when we deal with difficult situations? It's one thing to proclaim God is sovereign. It's another thing to cry out to God in our pain 
and rely on His sovereignty. That is much more difficult. And so I come to you prayerfully and hopefully that this is not one of those that has no heart. Because this is a very difficult psalm. As we look at the past, we learn that most of what has come to us in benefits and even luxury came on the backs of others who suffered and bore the pain to get us here. The things that we cherish. The early disciples suffered and they died that we might know the good news. Church history is filled with the blood of martyrs. We have our Bibles in our language despite the fact that people suffered to get your Bibles to you. And those who went before us may have never known the outcome of their suffering. It could have been very easy just to say, this hurts too much, I think I'll give up. And then those in, pre- in later generations we wouldn't have what we have today. For those of us today who experience trials that seem unbearable, we may never see the godly fruit that we long for in our lives or in the lives of our families or in strangers who touch our lives. It may be unseen to our eyes, therefore the pain is or can seem unbearable. Psalm 66 is for you and for me. There's a prayer, there's a promise, there's hope, and there's glory, and all these things are wrapped up in trials and tribulations. Today we're going to be talking about childlike faith. We know that faith is the essence of our Christian life. And, and if everyone were honest, not just here at our church and at other churches, but even outside those who may not go to church or, or have uh, belief in Christ, faith is an essential part of all of our lives. Everyone has faith in something or someone or even their own ideology. Even the naturalists that do not believe in the things that are unseen. They have faith in their presuppositions. They simply accept them as truth. And they have very little time to discuss with other people other possibilities. Why? Because they hold on and grasp their view of truth and reality. And it's hard for them to expand. Now, within the Christian faith... We are told that faith is absolutely necessary. In fact, Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. The entire book of Hebrews is about the, the hall of faith, so to speak. Those who have gone before us and the trials that they endured from the Old Testament all the way into 
the New Testament we see even in Revelation. Faith is a gift from God, according to Ephesians, and not something that we just come up with ourselves. It is a gift. It's a part of the armor of the shield of faith that quenches the fiery darts of the evil one. Several weeks ago, when we were looking at Psalm 37, I contrasted childish faith with childlike faith. You see, to some degree, all faith is childlike. Hebrews, the first three verses of chapter 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Totally contrary to those who are naturalists and who believe in only things that you can see. But here's something that's interesting. The Bible never exhorts us to have childlike faith. I have seen articles written, and you and I have experience looking at children who really believe what uh, something and, and pray for something, and we say, man, I wish I had that faith. But didn't you once have that faith? What's going to happen to that child that has that kind of uh, uh, faith that has not been tried? Are they going to continue it? Did you continue your faith as you experienced disappointments and trials? You see, the context in which Jesus said that we're to be like children was an answer to the question... Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And this is what Jesus said. He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Having faith has been interpreted as foolishness and childish. Skeptics see us as foolish and unintellectual and simply childish. After all, they're the ones who've been enlightened by the very sciences that change all the time. You see, faith is tested When as adults, trials and suffering beat down the doors of our security. So many times the naive idea that there is a God and that God is supposed to keep bad things from happening to us, it falls apart. And we're devastated by unforeseen tragedies. And these things destroy what little faith we had as children. But I do believe 
that we can maintain a childlike faith while not remaining childish in our faith. I believe the Bible teaches us that as we grow older, our faith grows deep roots to weather the storms. That's the reason I've entitled this message the adult childlike faith. This is in contrast to the faith of children that have not been tested. And don't get me wrong, I am not criticizing children and their faith, but children are childish because they're children. So there's no criticism. In fact, we admire their relentless uh, certainty when they believe something. Until someone disappoints them. And then that's the beginning of them becoming an adult. And now they're going to have to choose. Is faith real? Am I going to remain at this level? That's why it's so important, parents. For them to see you weather disappointment. With faith. You become the personification of adult faith. Faith is like the rest of things in life. We need to move beyond simple-mindedness. Do you remember what Paul said? When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish things. I really believe that childlike faith with deep roots is not childish faith. And by childlike, I mean that steadfast, unmovable faith, even in the midst of disappointment. This faith is rooted in knowing God and experiencing God and walking with God and trusting Christ. But the process, that's what we don't like. All of us want mature faith. Lord, give me faith. And all of a sudden, boom, terrible things happen. We go, God, why didn't you answer my prayer? And he's up there saying, I did. Because it is through disappointments and it is through suffering and it is through pain. And it is living in a broken world. That causes our faith to grow Or we remain childish and we give it up. We all know people who get older in age, but they haven't grown up to be an adult. That happens to people of faith and it happens to people who say that they don't have any belief system at all. So as we go through these verses, I'm really going to be focusing in on verses 10 through 12. But I want to lead up to it because it's very important in the context of this psalm to see what is this psalm about. Well, the first four verses is about calling for the whole world to praise the one true God. He says, shout for joy to God, all the earth sing The glory of his name. Give him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies will 
uh, come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises. They sing praises in your name. Now, I purposefully did not use the ESV translation when we did our responsive reading. Did you notice that there's a big change in verse 3? In verse 3, what we read earlier, and if you look at your uh, uh, even your bulletins, it says, the earth will submit. But in verse 3 in the ESV, it says, cringingly. Now, what is he saying? He's saying there are some who really don't have a believing heart, but they will go through worship, but not from the heart. They just do it because they're supposed to do it, or it's expected to do it. It's the opposite of apathetic mouthing of worship. I chose uh, to quote Piper again because he's my fail-safe when he says something that's controversial. Shouting joyfully to God, singing the glory of his name, making his praise glorious does not mean getting pumped up by group enthusiasm or by music that has a catchy beat. Rather, it is the overflow of our hearts when we are captivated by God's all-satisfying glory in Christ. That is the difference in praise that is generated by sound of others imposing that sound on you and you singing from the heart. And we have a whole culture who is missing what real worship is because it isn't from the heart. It's generated through electronics. In verses 5 and 7, we're to remember God's faithfulness to his people and his providential care. Notice that he says, come and see the works of God who is awesome in his deeds toward the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There let us rejoice in him. He rules by his might forever. His eye keeps watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. What he is saying in these two verses is the Jewish people always went back to the Exodus as the major turning point when God revealed himself to the to them as the God who he really is. Well, who shall I say you are? Moses asked God. You tell them that I am that I am. I will identify myself. This isn't general faith. This is faith specifically in a God who delivered his people and had purpose for them. Then it says he passed through the river on foot. That's when God even stopped the Jordan for the people to go into the promised land. Now, a lot of us think the promised land is heaven. Our old gospel songs have uh, 
led us in that way. And I love some old gospel songs, but the promised land is not heaven because heaven doesn't have any giants over there to fight. Heaven is free from all that. But they had to go in and possess the land. Why? That meant that they had to fight what God has promised them and given to them. Yes, the battle is the Lord's, but they had to participate in the trials in order to be in the land of milk and honey. And that's what we go through. God has always been faithful to his people. In the Old Testament, he kept redeeming them, redeeming them, redeeming them. In the New Testament, the application is that God has redeemed us through Jesus Christ. He has made us his people. And he's done something profound in our lives. When we witness, we witness about God's faithfulness in Jesus Christ because of what he's done for us. I'll never forget if you've ever studied experiencing God. And Blackaby talks about when their daughter was facing a life-threatening illness. And he raises the question, does God really love us? Does he really love us? And then he did something that we all need to do if we come to know Christ. Blackaby says, and then I thought of the cross. And I saw the love of Jesus Christ poured out for all those who would believe. And I determined while my daughter was in the hospital and us not knowing what the future would hold, that I would never doubt his love again. Because whatever we go through here is in no comparison to what God did for us in Christ and the eternal suffering of the Trinity in the death of Jesus Christ. Verses 8 through 12 is really the key of what we're going to address. I know it's already seemed like we've been looking at all that was introduction. Look at verse 10. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I'd like to take the time before we work through this to commend to you a movie that Pam and I just saw this past weekend called Indivisible. You're saying I haven't heard about it. Well, of course. Who's going to have something good to say about uh, a Christian movie? In fact, if you go to secular reviews of it, it has a thumbs down. That means it's good, people. <clears throat> Darren and Heather Tanner, they're a new couple. He's a chaplain on an army base just before the 2007 surge in the Operation Iraq. Family of five, everything was good. They planted their roots, and then he's deployed for 15 months to serve on a base as a chaplain. He heads out with his neighbors and men and women who are already struggling with demands of war because some of them have already been through war. 
So the timeline of the movie follows Darren on the battlefield and his wife on the battlefield back home as his first tour in the army. And getting ready to go, they look at each other and they say, we've been called to this. We've been called to this. A faith statement. We know what we're getting into. We're being called to this. But he's surprised how death and destruction and war has unsettled him as he's going through it. And yet he's always the encourager to his troops. This isn't in my notes, but I want you to know something. Pam and I are so blessed. We really do have a joy being a part of this congregation. But I want you to know something. There are thousands and thousands of pastors who put on a pastoral smile and demeanor while they are dying inside. And that's what this chaplain was going through. People come to know Christ while he's over there. But he is marred and damaged. He's overwhelmed. He suffers from PTSD, just as so many do, and it almost costs him his health and his family. And he comes real close to losing his faith. So he leaves the military. He goes and finds labor putting flowers in pots. And during that year, he's coming to terms with what he experienced by the counsel of an older chaplain. And of all things, one of the soldiers that came to know Christ Come back to him. The soldier had lost his leg. The chaplain had lost his faith. Sometime later, the older chaplain comes to him and said, I'm sorry that we've lost a good chaplain in the army. But I want to know if you'll be a chaplain for the special forces. And he does. He's a different man. The trials of war brought him, in my words, not his, from a simple, untried faith to an adult faith where now he knows what he's getting into and he's willing to bear it because now he has purpose and he's not childlike anymore. The psalmist says in these verses, you have tried us, you have refined us, you brought us into the net, you laid heavy, oppressive Burdened on us, you made men ride over our heads. 
It's perfectly reasonable and natural to ask why do bad things happen to good people. Verse 10 is the key. And I purposely put several translations in there. I just want you to kind of get the big picture because it's very important. For you, God, tested us. You refined us, past tense, like silver. You have tested us, O God. You have purified us like silver. For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. For you, God, test us. You refined us as silver is refined. You have put us to the test. And as silver is purified by fire, you have so tested us. How pure do we want to be in our relationship with Christ and even as we walk in this terribly broken world. We well, hear some observations that I don't know anything about refining silver, so this is all secondhand. The first thing to understand is that the one who's doing the refining hovers over the process. You see, it requires personal and undivided attention. Number two, the furnace is doing this, that is doing this is intricately designed to do that thing. It's not simply a place for fire and heat. It's built for purpose. Third, the heat is carefully regulated. It cannot be too cold and it cannot be too hot. And fourth, the process may be repeated. So what can we derive from this idea that he's refining us like silver. God is watching your affliction constantly. He doesn't blink. He's attending to you in it. God made the furnace that you're going through. To some degree, it is not a haphazard affair. Either he made it happen or he allows it to happen. In the scripture, it says that he's the one who put us through there. But the truth is that he knows you better than you know yourself. Know that whatever you're going through, the temperature is perfect to make you perfect in him. Folks, we live in a broken world. These trials will be constant. And it's a process of refining us into the image of Christ. James puts it this way, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Peter puts it this way, so that the authenticity, that is the maturity and genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And see, if we will look at it from God's point of view, which is very hard to do, verses 13 through 15 talks to us about offering sacrifices after going through the trials. Now, we know that Jesus Christ is the only sacrifice to get us to heaven. But Romans 12 tells us this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. In other words, God is 
refining us so that we won't be conformed to the ideologies of this world and to the manner of this world and to the behavior of this world. He uses these things to transform us. He renews our mind. In verses 16 through 20, he says, tell others, tell others, see what God has done for my soul. See, some of us who are going through these trials need to talk to some people who have already gone through your trials. And they want to share with you hope. And in return, one day you will. Some of you are more adult in your faith than I am because of what you have gone through. I do not speak as one of great adult faith. But I do speak that God's word can bring us to adulthood in our faith. And you confirm that because I've seen it in you. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Looking to Jesus... Not because he's some ideal idea. An abstract hoping that things are going to get better. God came here, suffered in the flesh to show us and to demonstrate that he was willing to go through all kinds of trials and suffering and experience death in his own person so that we could share in the benefits of that suffering. This is the one that we look to. And if we don't look to him, then we find ourselves drifting away because it is so hurtful. But he is the author and the finisher of your faith. If you'll look to him, he will finish your faith for you. And we could all move from innocent childish faith to tried adult childlike faith. Would you pray with me? Father... 
Give us a faith so that we can walk not by sight. You have proven your faithfulness. We have seen it in our fathers before us. You have given us the presence of your Holy Spirit. And you have made a promise to us. So give us eyes to see and fix our eyes on him who suffered and died for us and who rose again so that we might be with you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.